what drives someone to kill his own mother. Of all the murders that are committed every year in the United States, less than 2% of them are people who have killed their mothers. On November 25, 2003, Tracy Beatty joined that statistic. I mean, all you got to do is look at the woman's background and see that she was a bitch. Nobody could put up with her for, for, for a long period of time. My name is Dr. Michelle Ward. I'm a criminal psychologist and trial consultant. I've spent my career researching hundreds of murder cases to try to determine what drives someone to kill. Because the more we understand about criminal behavior, the better chance we have at preventing it in the future. This year, I went behind prison walls to talk face to face with six violent murderers. So listen as I go inside the mind of a murderer. In 2003, 62-year-old Callie Click lived alone in a small town called White House, Texas. Her granddaughter, Tamara, said that everybody loved her. She just lit up a room when she walked in. She always had a twinkle in her eye. She always read the Bible, and she believed a lot in God, and she just was a pretty amazing person. At the age of 19, Callie had one son, Tracy Beatty. My grandmother was a single mother, and she worked two jobs and she did everything that she could to make ends meet. Beatty was a tough kid. He was getting into fights, he was causing problems all over the place, and as he got older, as he became a teenager, he got worse. He ended up drinking a lot, not going to school, staying out, and of course, this led to a lot of fights between he and his mother. These fights got so out of control and so loud that even the neighbors heard it. There's one neighbor who was actually a friend of Callie's, Leanna Wilkerson, and she describes what she overheard. And it's pretty scary. It was awful. You know, it's just stupid disagreements, but it would just escalate into a screaming match between the two. He said, I just can't do anything right to please her. The whole neighborhood heard. It was just a powder keg. But no matter how bad those fights got, Kelly refused to give up on her only child. She loved him no matter what, and she forgave him for everything that he had ever done. They had another huge fight on November 25th, 2003, but this time it was different. This time, the fight ended with Beatty actually strangling his mother to death. was convicted of capital murder in 2004, and he was sentenced to die. His latest appeal has been denied, and he's currently on death row waiting to hear about his execution date. After months of correspondence, I finally got permission from the Polensky unit in Livingston, Texas, to let me interview Beatty face to face. As soon as you step on prison property, you follow prison rules. They make it very clear right away, there's no messing around here. They told us there's this one area I'm allowed to walk down where I can film and walk. 
made the mistake of stepping on the grass. And our escort says, look up at that tower. You see that gun? It's trained on you right now. You are now a target. Get off the grass. And then they bring you into the room where it's all of these cages with this really thick glass. And here we are dressed up with cameras and about to talk to these people who are sitting in a flipping cage. I mean, it's just an, a surreal experience. And then there was Beatty. Hi, Mr. Beatty, I'm Dr. Michelle Ward. How are you feeling today? Wow. Okay. We're trained from when we're kids that the bad guy looks like a bad guy. When in reality, most bad guys don't. Beatty does. He looks exhausted, he's really cagey. He has a teardrop tattoo on his eye. It's my understanding that might indicate how many people this prisoner has killed. But even more shocking is he has this red rash, bleeding rash up and down his arms and he's scratching at it and it just looks painful and irritated. I see you're bleeding a little bit, are you okay? They say I got some kind of fungus growing on my skin right now. It looks really uncomfortable. It's not. It's a little bit. From speaking with members of his family, I know that Beatty had been a violent criminal for a pretty long time. The guy had abused almost all the women in his family. He abused his children, his mom, and even his baby niece. This is what his daughter Tamara says. He was watching her, and he electrocuted my cousin with an extension cord, at which point she almost died. When I ask Beatty about this incident, he blames his niece for playing with the broken lamp. She kept going over there and grabbing it, pulling it back and forth, listening to the little chain rattle. After telling her four or five times not to play with the lamp, Beatty says she didn't want to learn the easy way. So I'd sit there with it. So he lets this 18-month-old baby cross the wires and electrocute herself. She pulled the wires up against her stomach, and they touched each other and just hard. I mean, he sat there and, and, and watched electricity go through her. He was talking about the arc. But his abuse didn't stop there. Here's his daughter Tamara again. My aunt had said that I was in my crib one day and I had um, soiled my pants and he proceeded to pick me up and slap me because I had dirtied my diaper. He did put a cigarette out on me as well. What is it like to not love your mother, to not really care about your children, to be okay with torturing your niece? What's that like? I imagine living in Tracy Beatty's head. My mother was control free. She wanted to control everything I did. She was always a bitch when, when it wasn't, nobody else was around. And I was one of them unruly little bastards that wouldn't be controlled. Around the time when Beatty was 18 years old, he decided he was over his mother. He moved out and he cut her off completely at that point. But then after spending several stints in jail for child abuse, stealing cars, what, what have you, he ends up back on his mom's doorstep. She took him back in. 
even though the last time she'd seen him was 11 years ago when he threw hot coffee on her and hit her so hard that she blacked out. The story that I heard from my grandmother was his parole officer was coming over and she wouldn't get up and clean the house up to his standards, which initiated the fight. I, I, I lost it. I just completely lost it. When I hit her, she went down and hit the door on the cupboard, and it messed her up. He beat her and put her into the hospital. So even after all of that, Callie Click takes back in her only son. And I'm sure she felt like she could help him turn his life around. If anybody could, it would be her. And I said, All right, have you lost your mind? Why in the world would you want him to come back here? And her answer to me was, I have to. This is my last chance for us to have any kind of a mother-son relationship. How are things when you first get to your mother's house? Would you argue every day when you were there? Were you always arguing? Not for the first two or three days, but after that, yeah. It's still the same thing. The same combative relationship, man. Me and her just couldn't get along. Were you starting the fights? Not really. Well, she was pissed off. Talking about, you ain't changed at all. You're still doing just what you want to do. And the hell with everybody else. Even Beatty says moving back in with his mom was a big mistake. Now, why did you think it was a mistake? Because I knew she hadn't changed at all. She hadn't changed. So what do you mean? She was still a bitch. So he's just, you know, sitting there like a blistered being, and she's picking at these blisters. She's picking at these scabs, and he's just ready to explode all the time. It was a horrible idea. So she's probably feeling like, oh, I failed miserably and I have to keep trying. I can't give up on him. I need to nag him, urge him, push him in the right direction. And that backfires with somebody like Beatty. We've talked around it long enough. It's time to ask him what happened the night of the murder. I've been drinking all day. When I went in, I was drunk. And she started bitching and you know, raising hell, you know, talking about all this kind of shit. I didn't feel like hearing it. I told her I was fine. You know, you sit there and talk all the shit you want to. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to the bedroom to lay down and go to sleep. You know, I'm drunk. Wait till I'm sober, and, and then we'll talk about it. Started screaming, if you're going to be staying here, you're going to have to have your ass in at such and such a time. I told her, I said, well, I'm not no damn teenage kid anymore. So did she kind of have it coming because she was poking at you? I was just trying to get the hell out of, out of the living room. He didn't come home with any sort of directive to hurt his mother. He just wanted to go to bed. And even though he's completely in the wrong, he was kind of like a snake you come across on a hiking trail. Just leave it alone, and it's going to do its thing. But if you corner it, it's going to lash out. She jumped up and grabbed the bottom of her. When she did that, I grabbed her by the throat and told her she didn't let me go. I was going to beat the hell out of her. Instead of letting me go, she kneed me in the nuts. When she did that, I don't know, I just lost it. What happened? I strangled her. She begged you to stop at any point? The only thing I remember saying was, God forgive him, he don't know what he's doing for. Okay. 
she said, God forgive him, he doesn't know what he's doing. And I say, bullshit. A woman who's being strangled to death can't talk. That is what Beatty wants me to think, his mother said. That's Beatty's way out. That's how Beatty's gonna get a little bit of, I don't know, sympathy? But you must have strangled her pretty hard because her bones were broken and she was, I mean, it, was, it seems very violent from the autopsy. Yeah. He just didn't have those mechanisms to stop himself from killing even his own mother. He just was irritated with her, as sick as that sounds. In my career, I've never run across somebody like that. He strangled her, and then she was just laying there. He didn't know she was dead, but he was going to bed anyway. Next morning, I woke went down the hallway, and she was still laying in the same place. I knew right then she was gone. Were you upset? Yeah. I mean, people, they don't realize what it's like. And I never intended to kill her. He says he was upset. So what does he do next? Undressed her and put her in the bathtub. And then I'm thinking, oh dear, we have a Norman Bates on our hands. Why did you undress her? Because she had blood all over her clothes. Why not leave her in her clothing? What's the difference? What, how is that going to save him? You know, you want to keep all the bloody stuff together, right? If you're trying to get away with a crime and he gently undresses her. Who wants to see their mother undressed to begin with? I started thinking about his relationship with his mother a little differently just from that one detail. I have no idea if there was anything sexual. There's no evidence of it that I know of, but it's certainly the first thought I had. And you left her in the bathtub for two days. And what were you doing then? What, what was the reason for that? I had gotten a job. And he goes to work. That's what Beatty does. So you, you think you need to go to work? You just murdered your mother and you worried about your job? I, I just went to, you know, I mean, I had, I, I went, I went, kept going to work. Betty goes right back to, oh, well, I better show up for my job. It doesn't even click. I've made a giant mistake. Betty went straight into, got to protect Betty. And then to make matters worse, Betty doesn't bury her right away. He hangs out with that corpse in the bathtub. Then, after a couple of days, he takes her and buries her in her own backyard. How did you pick where you buried your mom? I mean, burying her at her house makes it more likely that she's gonna be found. Well, she had said all along that when she died that she wanted to be buried on, there on top of the little hill where her house was. So you were honoring her wishes? Yeah. I'm not sure, I can never say exactly why he kept her so close. My gut reaction is it was just simple. You know, he risks getting caught if he drags her somewhere else. Somebody could see him, but at least if he's in the confines of his own home, there's more privacy. He's expected to be there. I couldn't believe I'd done something like that. I didn't know I was capable of doing something that, that 
that violent. He didn't know he was capable of doing something that violent. I think what he means here is that, listen, I know I've done X, Y, and Z, these violent behaviors, but I didn't think I could kill my own mother. I think his lack of self-control surprised even him. It is so controversial to say somebody was born this way, to say somebody's a bad seed. And obviously, bad seed is not a clinical term. It's just how else to say it when somebody's born with deficiencies, with deficits. And yet, he's got two daughters who seem normal and even have kids of their own. Tiffany and Tim. How did you feel about them? Oh, they're good kids, man. They don't, they, they don't bother nobody. Did you love them? Yeah. It's always interesting, this concept of love. I think for somebody like Beatty, he probably does have the strongest feelings for them than for anybody else, so he thinks that's love, but yet his behavior really indicated that he didn't think much of them. I don't think that he knows how to love someone. I don't. Betty's their father. They don't get to sit back and look at him clinically like we do. They're stuck with the emotional scars from being the biological child of a man who sits on death row for killing their grandmother who has also tortured them and tortured their cousin. They have trauma beyond just being abused by him. They have trauma by realizing they are half him. I am glad that he got the death penalty, and I feel like justice has been served once he is executed. I'm sorry that he did what he did. And I mean, I do love him, and I forgive him. And that's it. Do you think, do you think this is where you belong? Where do you think you belong? Do you think you belong in prison? Yeah, doing something like that, yeah. Yeah. I have to accept responsibility for it. Right, right. Don't do crimes, can't do time. I don't have any better solution for somebody like Beatty because he's already started at the lowest place. He's already violent toward his own children, to other people's children. Where do you put that guy? Do you want to stay of execution, or do you, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm sick of just sick of being locked up like an animal. I mean, you're sitting there in a little thing like eight foot by ten foot cell, you know, 23 hours a day. This guy does not care that he's going to die. He's ready for it. He's done. He's checked out. He's ready to die. And then I dropped a bombshell. Your daughter wants to be at your execution. Did you know that? Which one? It's Tamara. She'll be sitting her ass on the other side, probably. She's probably going to sit on the other side, meaning she's going to sit on her grandmother's side of the execution room. So when there's a viewing of an execution, they divide the room, as you would understand, between family of the victim and family of the perpetrator. And what ran through his mind is, she's not here to support me. She's here to support her grandmother. That's what ran through Beatty's mind. Does that make you mad? I don't know why she won't. I don't know why she won't be there. You know. And she says that she she looks a lot like her grandmother. Uh, no. I don't know. No. Um, does that make you mad that she wants to be there? 
if she feels like it's necessary for her to have clothing, she ain't got a problem with it. Yeah. Some people were born good and become bad. Most people who are bad to this extent, there is some pathology going on. Just like we're born with different color eyes and different color skin and different you know, heights, we can be born with brains that work differently. We have dispositions, we have temperaments, and we have predispositions. We are all wired differently. It, and no one likes it because it means we don't have control. But there were a lot of warning signs in Beatty's childhood. The hope is eventually there will be interventions for children who do have a lot of risk factors for future crime and really change the trajectory of some of these kids who are destined to become criminals. Thank you, Mr. Beatty. I appreciate you doing this. All right, thank you. I walked away going, there's not a lot of redeeming qualities about that guy. He doesn't love his mother. He's sadistic. He hurts babies and doesn't think much of it. He's so scary. I mean, it's a person only a mother could love. Join me on next week's podcast where I'll take you to meet Travis Runnels, a totally different kind of killer. Someone who killed in cold blood, seemingly without provocation, and he pulled it off while in prison. Stay tuned. For Atlas Media, the producers are Bruce David Klein, Lori Layton, and Fanny Cohen. For Investigation Discovery, the producers are Liz Massey, Jamie Lane, Christina Douglas, and Sarah Kozak. Kevin Bennett is general manager, and Henry Schleif is the network president. I'm Dr. Michelle Ward. <laughs>